0: Well, it's been a minute since I've been here. And a lot has happened. I'm going to move this out of here in case I stumble over it. Yeah, Kim and I were talking on the way over here in, um, it's been at least three years since I've been here, I think closer to five. Um, and so it's a, it's good to be back here to visit our friends here in Bay City Church. Well, um, there's good news and there's bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. I don't have Doctor Seuss today, <laughs> but I do have good news. There is a story involved. Yeah. But I'm I'm going to tell it without pictures, and it won't rhyme. But it's a story that that you. Uh, probably know, most of you have probably read it. Uh, actually, the title of the sermon is, is God's Economy, a recap and a review. And um, I have been in, well, Kim and I just celebrated our 43rd wedding anniversary. And I've, we've been involved in ministry for almost that long. Uh, 40 years at least and um, it's interesting when you've been at that for a long time um, your message or the thing that you end up with at the end of 40 years of ministry um, I I retired from Spring Arbor, I don't teach full time anymore I do have an online gig at Grace Christian University but it's a an asynchronous online teaching class. That means nobody shows up. I teach from my um, table in my living room, and um, I monitor discussions and I grade papers. And um, so I, I still dabble in academia, but I've been retired. And when you start to use words like retired and being married over forty years and being in the ministry, I remember when I first started, uh, guys would testify about how long they've been in the ministry, and they'd say thirty-five years, and I'd say, oh man. I can't believe they're still lying. And here I am saying stuff like that. Uh, But the the benefit, or my thoughts about having been in the ministry for this long, is that a message begins to coalesce. um, So what I want to talk to you about today is... I think the three principles that God has laid upon my heart after these years of ministry—where um, wh- have I landed? What have I learned about God? What have I learned about following Jesus Christ? How did, how could that change my life? And and why would it be a sustaining factor? After being in the ministry for a while, you begin to get these messages, and and so I went back through my notes and and started to do kind of a review and a recap. And um, the whole notion of God's economy came up. And uh, I first presented my thoughts on God's economy in a sermon in August of 2004. That's when the first time I used that phrase that I can determine was in August of 2004. And I've been to Bay City a number of times Uh, I'm going to sneeze here in a minute if I can work up to it. It's not going to be pretty, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way my grandpa Reed used to sneeze. (laughs) He'd scare the fire out of me, he would. He'd just cut that loose at the dinner table, and my goodness, I'd jump out of my chair. Anyway. uh, I've probably talked about all three, or at least some of these principles here at Bay City before, but... I wanted to review them and I kind of put them into an into, uh, in order, if you will. Um, and it's based on the scripture of 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, uh, verse, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. In the New Living Translation, it says this Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted on as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result... No one can ever boast in the presence of God, and in that those verses there, you begin to see how how God works in the lives of people. He takes folks that <clears throat> don't have talent, and they're they're not great athletes, <clears throat> and they they don't have a lot of uh, singing talent and. they they may not even have the use of all of their limbs. And yet God uses those very people to deliver a powerful message. Um, The world thinks that you have to have talent and money and, and in many ways those things do cash out as far as the world is concerned. But in God's economy, he has chosen to do something else. He takes things that are weak. He confounds those things that are wise and he makes the wisdom of the world look foolish. (coughs) And so, based upon that scripture right there, can we be able to get me a glass of (coughs) water? Excuse me. Uh, Based on that scripture right there, uh, this is the way I see God working in, in the lives of people. And so, there's three principles that I I consider um, in God's economy. The first principle is, the inside is bigger than the outside. The inside is bigger than the outside. Now, what that means comes from a story that C.S. Lewis wrote um, about the Chronicles of Narnia. You've probably read those. Well, in that story, this is in like the tail end of the book. <coughs> Thank you. Well now that's a conundrum. I was gonna set that down. <laughs> Probably ought not to put it in my pocket. Uh-huh. What's that? Water bottle. Bless your heart. <laughs> Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a little tease. she walked up with a triangle cup in me Oh well, that's not going to work anyway. <laughs> anyway, where was it? Oh, uh, Children of Narnia. In this story, um, the um, the the three children had, of course, discovered Narnia, and uh, they had. Discovered that they were kings and princes and queens uh, in Narnia, and they had important roles to to fulfill there, and they they understood the world of Narnia, and then they would go back to England, and they were kids, and and they would grow up, and it would be a time that they wouldn't go to Narnia, and then they go back into Narnia, and so they were kind of jumping back and forth, and th- in this story now of. Uh, it had been a while since they'd been to Narnia, and uh, they uh, uh, they brought their cousin with them. His name was Diggory, and cousin Diggory didn't understand about Narnia. He'd never been there. He was curious because he had heard the kids alluding to that thing. He had heard the, the children um, alluding to this place that they would go to, um, and But they finally took him there and in the land of Narnia it was coming down to the to the final hours of the Narnians had enemies called the Calarmenes and the Calarmenes wanted to do away with Narnia and they were succeeding they had finally uh, captured the kings and the queens of Narnia and Included in that capture was their cousin, Diggory, was also now considered a prince in Narnia. And the Narnians had captured them, and, and they threw them into this little stable. And then it was at nighttime, and so they had built a great big fire, and the, the Calamines were dancing around and making a ruckus, and they were trying to decide what when they were going to kill the kings and the queens of Narnia. And they threw them in this stable and they were having this conversation. But in the perspective of the children or the kings and queens of Narnia, they went through this door and they landed in this space that was absolutely beautiful. Expansive grasslands just covered with flowers. Bright blue sky. The sun was shining. It was an amazing place. And the children of Narnia, the, the, the original ones, they they didn't know exactly where they were, but they were kind of used to this sort of stuff going on in Narnia. But Cousin Diggory had no idea what was going on. And he stands up and he says, what has just happened here? We got thrown into this little pokey old stable. And uh, it was at night, and what is this? And so the, the kings and the queens, they were kind of laughing at his expense, and they said, uh, you were right, we were thrown through this door, but I want you to turn around and I want you to look. And here was this door, it was a rough sawn wooden door standing right out there in the middle of nowhere. And they said, take a look through the cracks in those boards. And so Cousin Diggory did that, he looked through the cracks in the boards, and what he saw was a scene of nighttime, and the Calabines had their big fire, and they were dancing around, and they were arguing about when they were going to kill the king and, king and queens of Narnia. In Cousin Diggory, he steps back, and he walks all the way around that door. And it was just a door. And yet there was something on the other side that had been tossed through that door, and now they were into this expansive space. And Cousin Diggory, he steps back and he didn't quite understand what was going on, but he says, it appears that the inside is bigger than the outside. And that's my first principle of God's economy. The inside is bigger than the outside. When we have a challenge, Um, When bad things happen to us, when circumstances seem to work against us, when we are discouraged, when we think that hope is lost, when we are confused, when we feel abandoned, when we feel betrayed, when we feel ill, or when we um, get a, a poor diagnosis from the medical professionals and all of this seems to be such a bad thing that's happening we have to walk through that door of our experience but in god's economy the inside will be bigger than the outside because god has in his plan for us the to to, to benefit us in everything that happens to us is not without its its uh, its benefit god uses that to promote his purpose in our lives, in our hearts, to give us freedom, to give us strength, and to give us uh, grace, and to work those fruit of the spirit that he has listed, all of those things. And, you know, it's not just uh, the the Chronicles of Narnia where that's the case. The scriptures have a bunch of examples of where this has happened. Uh, We think about the creation epic. God started with nothing. He didn't take dirt and then make the earth out of it. He started with nothing. There was nothing there. It's all ex nihilo. Nothing was there. And he spoke the words and it came to be because that's the power that God has. There's the account of Joseph. He was the lippy boastful little brother of a bunch of guys and they got sick of it and they chucked him in a hole and they were going to kill him and a couple of his brothers that had compassion some heart of mercy anyway and said we hey, I mean, probably ought not to kill the kid let's sell him." and so they sold him as a slave and he went to Egypt and you remember the story as you have read it that all sorts of you know good things would happen and then a bad thing would happen and good things would happen and then a bad thing would happen and um Every time, as Joseph relied upon God as his Savior, God would come to his aid. As it turns out, of course, and you know the story, (laughs) he was the second in command in Egypt. He started out as a slave in a hole. The inside was bigger than the outside. He got chucked in that hole, and given time and his faith and God's faithfulness to him, his inside was a lot bigger than the outside. Then there's David. Uh, he was the prophet was was told to go to the house of Jesse and and because that's where the next king of Israel was going to come from. And so he went to to Jesse's house and he says. Uh, let me see all your sons, because God's picked one of them, and he lined wind them all up, and they were all really tall and good-looking, and blah, 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 you know, and all of that sort of stuff. Obviously, it was going to be one of these guys, and so we started with the oldest, and they'd bring him in, and the prophet said, say, nope. Bring in the next one. Nope. Brought in the next one. Nope. Went all the way through him, and he said, don't you have any more? And Jesse said, well, yeah, I got the littlest one. He's out with the sheep, doing his chores. And the prophet said, well, let's take a look at it." So they had to go out and get him. They fetched him from the, from the fields and brought him in, and he was the one. That's how God operates. The inside is bigger than the outside. The apostle Paul, he was a killer of Christians. He was knocked off his horse, he was turned blind, and then he became the missionary to the world and the author of much of the New Testament. That's the inside being bigger than the outside. Um... The disciple Peter. He was a bragger. He was a liar. He was a denier of Jesus in the clutch. He did, you know, he was uh, boastful. He said, well, oh, I'm never going to deny you and want to come back right down to it. He did it three times. And then he turned into Peter the Evangelist. And then, of course, there's the biggest and the best example of God's economy is found in the birth of Christ. And... If I were to ask you to make a list of all of the Christmas songs that you know that talk about the beginnings or that whole epic of Jesus' foretelling of his birth and how he was born and, and all of that, you get a glimpse of the inside being bigger than the outside. It wasn't that he was born into a palace and all of that other sort of stuff. It was to a young woman... Um, she was not even technically married. How's that for a (laughs) scandal? And yet, you know, they made the trek like they were supposed to, and they landed in Bethlehem, and she had the baby, and it wasn't in a hospital, and there wasn't a midwife that we know of. She had a baby in a stall. And they put him in a place where the cows ate their hay. and his parents weren't wealthy, and they weren't famous, that is definitely the inside being bigger than the outside. That's not its an ignominious beginning. But think what happened. What was the person in the work of Christ? The Savior of all humankind. The bringer of God's mind to the hearts of the people. The, the door. The he, he, he was the one that provided the promise. After his resurrection, he told his disciples, uh, you just hang out here. I'm going to send you the promise. Don't go away. You'll want to be here for this. And so we have been given the Holy Spirit now that dwells here in our hearts and speaks to us the very thoughts of God. you realize that not every person that has ever lived has that opportunity we are really kind of a drop in the bucket as far as time is concerned 2,000 years considering how long people have been around before that you know the lucky ones were born Jews if you weren't lucky you were something else and I don't know how all that's going to cash out God's going to sort that out but this is now, this to me speaks to um, God's economy. The way God chooses to do things is He takes things that are not very good and He turns them into a great amount of good. Well, I want to go back to the story of the, the, um, the children of Narnia. So, here they are, they, they had gotten chucked through the, the door. And, of course, in Narnia, the animals talk, and so they already had friends there. And their friends started to meet them. And uh, the one friend that I remember the most was their friend the eagle. The eagle flew in, and this was kind of something new to him, too. But he was circling over the children, and he would go ahead, and then he would come back, and he would say to those kids, said you've got to check this place out follow me and the children of of Narnia they started to run because this was a really big place and they ran and they ran and they ran and they did not get tired and it just kept getting more beautiful and the eagle was going before them uh, their friend the eagle and, and he would fly way out and then he would come back in and he would come down to them and he would say you just wait till you see what's up there. Further up, further in, children. That's what he would say. Further up, further in. And That's the second principle of God's economy. That's what God calls us to. Further up and further in. When we find ourselves in these little tiny doors that, that our circumstances are chucking us into and it looks really nasty and ugly and it feels like you know, it's in the middle of the night and people are plotting our demise and all of the bad stuff that could happen to us. God's got a plan even in that. And he starts us out little so that we get used to this idea. But as we trust God to take the small irritations and the little bitty things that discourage us and God works them for our good if we keep thinking back on those things and those times when God has been faithful to us, We get the sense that God is faithful. and That God really does work. And so that is God's way of saying to us, further up. Further in, children. Further up. Further in. There's going to be some really tough stuff that comes up. You need to practice this. But it's going to be glorious. Further up and further in. And there was something interesting that happened in that story as well. They've been traveling for quite a while now and they weren't getting tired. <clears throat> but they came up to this one little park. It was, it was a park and it was walled and there was a gate in it. And as the children were coming by, one of their animal friends, Reepicheep the mouse, uh, he came out to greet them. He came walking out that gate and he was talking to them about their experience and what they had been seeing and what they were feeling. And he said, you've got to do this. I want you to go through that gate. And he turned around and he ushered the children through that small gate. that looked like it was going to be a little park. Guess what? The inside was bigger than the outside. They went through that little tiny gate. And they thought they were in some place special because it wasn't even Narnia anymore. It was someplace else. And then they walked through this little tiny gate following Reepicheep Cheek the mouse, and all of a sudden they're into a space that's even wilder and bigger and amazing. And the kids couldn't believe it, and the eagle is still flying over saying, further up, further in children, further up, further in. Can you kind of get a sense of how this God's economy is working. We sense God's glory in our lives, and we sense His presence in our lives, and we get this feeling that, um, yeah, I am a child of God. I am highly favored. I'm a child of the king. And then something bad happens to us, and we're discouraged, and some people lose faith. Jesus told a story about that, about the seed that fell on the stony ground seed that fell in the shallow ground some seed fell into the fertile ground sometimes when we start following Christ and we have to go through those little tiny gates people get, stirred, get discouraged and they kind of cash in on the whole thing because they're not trusting God for it they never get a chance to experience this whole idea that the inside is going to be bigger than the outside and it doesn't happen right away necessarily sometimes it does But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we just have to to wait and be patient. Wait upon the Lord and and seek his face and seek his favor and call upon the promises that we have in the Bible. That's what it's there for, to remind us of how good God is. And to give us in black and white the promises that he gives to us. But the real work is going on here in the heart we read those words and we apply them to our hearts in this difficult time and we say, God, in your economy, this is going to work out for your good and for your glory. Probably the biggest one that we know of, every person sitting in here, is when we have to cross that the River Jordan, I used to say. When we die, what's going to happen? We have a sense. We're kind of looking through those cracks in those boards. And we get a sense of what's on the other side, but we don't know. And we have people, we have examples, and we have testimonies of people that have been over there, and they come back, and they say how amazing it is, but you don't know that, because you've never been there. All of our live long life here on earth is going to be a practice for us understand that the inside is going to be bigger than the outside. When we have to walk through that final tiny gate, the gate of death, then we're going to start to see the inside being bigger than the outside. And I've never been to heaven. I don't know this for sure, but I do know the word of God. And I think in the in God's economy and his principles I think I don't think Heaven is going to be static at all. I don't think we're just going to be floating around on clouds wondering what we're going to do next. I think we are going to live in a state of constant amazement. People that we have known all of our lives and people that we don't even know, they're going to be meeting us at the gate and they're going to say, further up, further in, you're not going to believe this. A state of constant amazement. Which kind of brings me then <clears throat> to the last principle. It's called living in the box of no. <clears throat> I believe that our God is a God of yes. We, you know, we, we sing songs about taking up the cross and following Jesus and all that. that. And, and, and that's true. Sometimes you have to do that. But as we take on the cross and we imitate Christ, in it, God is saying yes. With that principle, the inside is bigger than the outside, when we walk through those dark and difficult times, Jesus opens up vistas and experiences and areas of our hearts that we didn't know, and the inside is going to be bigger than the outside. Our God is a God of yes. And I don't think it's just one yes. Let's say, for example, that this worship center right here, the whole thing, represents God's yes for your life. Yes to this, yes to this, yes to this, yes to this. The whole thing is God's yes. But because of what happened to Adam and Eve, they had had a life of yes too. It was God's yes for them in the Garden of Eden. But they got sidetracked and they got deceived. And the sin of that original couple has dogged our steps. Every one of us since that time. But Jesus Christ has Paid that debt, that is again another door, the inside being bigger than the outside. So we have now the opportunity to follow Christ and we enter into then this whole great big yes. As we follow Christ, this sanctuary, this worship center would be yes. But most people live here in this little tiny box of no. They could have access to all of God's yes. But they live here in the no. And God wants us so bad. He wants us to be princes and kings and queens. He wants us so bad that he has done everything that he could to bring us to him. He has provided that sacrifice that we needed. The blood of Christ has been shed once, for all, forever. You know, you can't even say to God, yes, Father, save me, because he's already done that, in a sense. Christ has died once and for all. God has already provided the yes. When it comes to following Jesus, it's really only half a choice. We just quit saying no to God. We can't say, yes, God save me, do whatever it takes. He's already done whatever it takes. We just have to quit saying no. But most of the time, people choose to live right here in this little tiny And all it takes is for us to quit saying no to God. And we have access to this. We have, then, the Holy Spirit living in our hearts to give us the very thoughts of God and to give us um, comfort and to give us strength and to give us wisdom and to understand the, the, the whole notion of God's economy. Can you imagine... If someone is not in faith, I would be up here and it would be like I had three heads in talking a foreign language. The reason it doesn't seem that way to you, folks, is because you are probably already living outside of the box of no, And you can relate to God's principles, to God's economy. When I say the inside is bigger than the outside, I see men getting shaking your and when I talk about further up, further in, you shake your head because you've been on that journey. You've gone further up and you've gone further in. And the impetus for one of the things that we should be about is convincing people to get out of the box of no. That's God's economy. And after... 40-some years of being involved in ministry, that's what the Lord has taught me. And I find it to be pretty exciting as I get older. I pray when I have to walk through that final gate, that little tiny door called death, that I do so with anticipation. The process may not be a lot of fun. I don't know. It may be instantaneous. I don't know. But I'm looking forward to living forever in a constant state of I amazement. Something to look forward to. Thank you for your kind intention this morning. I, would you stand with me and I'll just miss us in prayer. Our Father, in your wisdom, here we are in on planet earth and you have given us 70 plus short years to get this whole thing sorted out you've done everything in that you could do to help us walk into that wonderful yes that you have for our lives you've given us Jesus you've given us Holy Spirit And we can walk out of that box of no into this great, big, amazing yes. I pray, Father, in the days ahead, I don't know what you have in store for any of the souls that are here today, but I pray, Father, for your faithfulness to be their portion, and that you, Father, would speak to their hearts, that you would draw them into your lap, that you would speak to them words of hope and encouragement and excitement and enthusiasm so that they look around and they see your yes written all over their lives. And give us courage when we have to walk through those tiny gates. Give us courage to trust you that the inside is gonna be bigger than the outside. And we have that amazing promise that says, Just test me in this and see if I'm not going to pour out the floodgates of heaven upon me. I pray that to be their portion, Father, as we go from this, fa- this place today. That you would raise them up on their faith, and that you would unite them again in unity, in peace, and in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. <clears throat>